0: Actually, this back table, sorry. Those are the prayer sheets. You're welcome to grab one of those too if you would like. Look at uh, chapter 20 of the Mueller book. All right. Mueller said this with regard to just the way that we live life. We should carry on our business as stewards of the Lord. The child of God has been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. All that he possesses, his bodily strength, his mental strength, his ability of every kind, his trade or business, and his property all belong to God. It is written, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. So here's the question, how will you perceive the sum total of life differently if all you are and have belongs to God? all you are and have belongs to God, how will you live life differently? Bob? I was thinking about the song. Okay. see yourself
1: as a stranger you're not. It's almost like going on vacation. You take what you need. Yeah. And then you do what you need to do as opposed to staying home and enjoying all of your stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this mindset of being a stranger or, um, you know, soldiers don't carry U-Hauls. They don't drag U-Hauls behind them. They carry whatever they need in their pack, and that's it, right? And so just this idea of focus. Okay, what else? What are some other aspects of if all we are and have belongs to God, how do we think about life differently? Are we paying God back by living for Him? That would be an important thing to think about. No. Why not? Okay, we can't. That's the biggest reason. Um, And He does not ask us to, right? Because He has purchased us with the death of Jesus. And so what He is looking for from us is not us to repay a debt. It is for us to live in obedience to him because that's the reason for which he created us and so sometimes we think the reason that we should live out good works is because Jesus died for us but um, Paul says in Ephesians 2 10 that he created um, created us for good works that we should walk in them now we could argue that that creation is connected with the new birth which it is but the reason that God put people in the world was that so we would live for him. And so sin and death and all of those consequences create an obstacle to living for God, but in salvation, we are not repaying the debt of our salvation. We are returning to the purpose for which God made us in the first place. Do you see the difference in that? So that's definitely part of what we need to think about here. Um, What do we tend to think of with regard to... um, Our ability to think, our strength, all those sorts of things. How do we tend to approach the use of those things? Seder? It's from us and our God. Okay, we might think that it's from us and our, our strength, right? It's really from God, okay? And how does that then affect. Hmm, well, I, we'll actually come back to a similar question, so we'll pause on that one for now. Uh, he says a little bit later, The proceeds of our calling, like our job, our ministry, and so forth, are not our own in the sense of having freedom to spend them on the gratification of our pride or our love of pleasure. We have to stand before our Lord and Master and to see, as his stewards to seek his will concerning how he will have us use the proceeds of our calling. It is altogether in accordance with our pilgrim character to see how much we can afford to give to the poor or the work of God every week. So it refers to 1 Corinthians 16.2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. This was in regard to the, the raising up of the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Back up for a second. Let's think about why there were poor saints in Jerusalem. What happened as the church was formed in Acts 2? There well, there was persecution. But before that, how was the church behaving? Braden? They gave money. So there were people who had property, they sold that property, they gave the proceeds of that to the church. We see it again a little bit later in Acts chapter four, which leads to the thing with Ananias and Sapphira, which then leads to a problem, which was what? If people are continuing this process of selling things and giving it to the church, what's eventually gonna happen? They're gonna run out, right? Because even the richest person eventually has no more money unless it's replenished in some way. So, people ran out of money, Persecution meant some of them lost jobs. Uh, Famine due to drought meant that people were hungry, which meant things were more expensive, which meant there were all these additional burdens on people, and so that is why there needed to be this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. There's actually two of them. One of them is at the end of Acts chapter 12, 11 or 12, and then another one is near the end of Paul's ministry. He gathers this gift for the poor in Jerusalem Uh, which he ends up delivering shortly before he's arrested uh, right after his uh, third missionary journey. So Mueller's point is the proceeds of your job should not primarily be thought about in terms of how can I buy a nicer car, um, a boat, (coughs) mm, an experience, All of those sorts of things. Now, are those things inherently evil? No. To go out on a boat is not sinful, right? If you have a lot of other expenses, buying a boat is probably not the wisest thing because boats add a whole bunch of other expenses, right? So uh, I'm just using that as an illustration, right? It's not evil in and of itself, right? The wood or the fiberglass or the motor are not evil, right? but Mueller's point is, we tend to default to this attitude, I have money come in, this money is for me, I use it all up, and then I need more money to come in, right? That's how a lot of people in our world look at work, right? And if the money that's coming in isn't enough for the money that's going out, I need a, more, I need a better paying job, right? What's another way of looking at it that I think Mueller is getting at? Okay, that's definitely part of it. We should definitely pray and rely on God. What else? What are two solutions to not having enough money? Spend less or make more. Right, and most people default to the make more, right? Because we don't want to give up things, right? But Mueller is calling people to this idea of giving up things willingly and freely and regularly. Now, I think I've tried to make the point all throughout looking at this book, not all of us are called to do what Mueller did and have a few pieces of furniture and a daily subsistence approach to living in terms of am I going to have food on the table tomorrow, right? and God work in incredible ways through that? Absolutely. Uh, Are all of us in a position that we ought to do that? Probably not, right? So, we don't necessarily have to do exactly what Mueller did, but we can look at his example and and ask ourselves a question along the lines of what he asked, which is, when money comes in, is there ever a point at which I think about how I can use it to help someone else? I am not trying to guilt you at all because I know some I, things I know and some things I have no idea. You may be, be, be uh, trying to talk here. You may be extraordinarily generous with what God has given you in ways that I'm not aware of. Right? So this is not me trying to berate you about this. This is just saying I know my own struggles, which is if I have money come in, here are the two fears that tend to come up. If I spend this now, will I not have what I need in the future? And if I spend it on someone else, will I have what I need for me? Right? So, is there going to be enough for down the road? And is there enough for me and someone else? Right? And I'm just speaking honestly, those I think are the common fears that we default to and that society pressures us to think about and that we should at least consider. Right? So, in connection with those things, um, how will you spend your money differently if you see it as God's? There's probably some really obvious. Let's start with the really obvious, easy ones. If this money is God's, what can I not do with it? Okay, not waste it, which... Use it for sinful purposes. So I'm going to start with the sinful purposes. If this is God's money... I can't use it to... Okay, we could talk about the idea of gambling. Let's take an even easier one. Um, I can't use it to um, support some kind of idolatry in terms of, like, a false religion. Like, I can't give it to a church that doesn't preach the gospel, right? I can't... Um I can't use it to buy illegal drugs to go get high, right? I can't use it and spend it upon pleasure um at a strip club or a place like that, right? I can't use it at um hmm, a whole variety of other things that I think are pretty clearly sinful, right? So let's talk about the waste part of it. I think gambling tends to be more excluded from the waste and the you're supposed to love your neighbor and do good to the poor and all those sorts of things angle. I don't know that there is a specific Bible verse that we can point to and say gambling is sin, right? But can we say that gambling is waste? Most of the time, yes. Can we say that gambling participates in the oppression of people? Yes. So I think those are some ways that we would say, I don't think we could probably spend it that way either. Um, what other examples of waste? Inheritance. Okay, you said inheritance? Inheritance and money. Okay, well, let's come back to that in a second. What are some ways, like, let's just say your regular paycheck, that you could spend it that would be wasteful and not honoring to God? Okay. Okay, what's too many times? <laughs> that depends on how the situations you're in, but everybody can judge that knowledge more than necessary. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, okay, so if you do something nice for yourself once or twice a month, that's over and above, that's, that's probably okay, but if you're, like, two, three times a week, you probably going to get away. <laughs> Yeah, and I agree with you, but how do we draw the line and say twice a month is okay and twice a week is bad?
1: Your own, your own you have to it. Yeah, but what helps us to evaluate it? Well, like for example, if, if you have
0: physical issues that makes it hard to prepare food, for example, you okay. might have a little bit more allowance
1: for understanding that it makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. So that, I was just trying to get to a specific thing. Bob? So
1: if it causes you to go into debt or to not be able to uh, pay your current expenses, thus causing you to go into debt. So if if you're neglecting your primary responsibilities, which would start with giving to God, paying debts, covering, providing for your family, if okay. you're doing those things and, and it caught in, so if you're able to do all those things and there's some left over, then that's one situation. But if any of those things are causing you to go into debt, then it's probably not wise. Okay.
0: Senator. Um, I think the point here is not so thinking uh, about Yeah. And other things after that, which is like okay. okay. Yeah, so think of God first and foremost, and um, i trying to be careful here because I'm not trying to say more than the Bible says, but what we see in the New Testament is an example of sharing, right? So I think sometimes we look at, and again, I'm not not criticizing someone buying someone else a bag of groceries or writing a check or something like that if you know someone has a specific urgent need to to help them with, right? Because we see some of that, I think, in Acts 2 as well. But I think it is harder for us to commit to ongoing sharing than it is one-off, here and there kind of things, right? So again, um, I'm trying to be careful here because you as a congregation have been incredibly generous with my family along the way of different things that have happened in the last few years i am very grateful for that from my perspective here's the things that i struggle with if i say here's 50 bucks to somebody if i have the 50 bucks that's easy i give it to them i'm done that takes a really short amount of time right if I say to those people, hey, come over and let's have a meal together, then I have to plan it, I have to set aside a block of time, I have to think about what we're gonna talk about, like all those sorts of things, There's a, a, it's a larger commitment, right? So I think the intersection for me of what Mueller is saying with my life is growing in hospitality, not just saying, if I have extra money, I'll throw it at a particular issue, right? in part because the goal is not just this person has a bill he can't pay, now he can pay the bill. The goal is that there can be a mutual fellowship and fellowship doesn't happen outside of conversation and spending time with each other, often around food, but not always. And so um, I think we potentially miss out on some of the blessings of what he's talking about if we immediately jump and say, well, the idea is just throw $20 here and $50 there and whatever, and then that's it, right? So, is that a good first step? If, I, if my first thought is, all that I have is mine, it is a good first step to say, okay, before I spend any of this excess on me, how can I help someone else? Then it's a further step to say, how can I invite someone else into my life? And then it's a further step to say, how can I give sacrificially where maybe... I'm not giving out of excess, but I'm saying this person has a need and it's going to be hard for me and I have to give up But I'm going to give or I don't have enough and I'm going to have to stretch to share it um, to be sacrificial in the way that we're giving. So I think that this is a, this is a progression of what's going on here. Um, along those lines, I don't think everyone is called to live the way that Mueller did. But I do think that there is a degree to which the attitude of Scripture is much more on the side of give even if you have very little than it is on the side of store up treasures on earth, right? The reason I was thinking about that is there's that verse in Matthew 6, I think, talks about don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth, which I think... We're going to come to the next little section here, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But bottom line, our society says store up things on earth so that you never run out of money, so that life is always comfortable, etc., etc., etc. And everything that you have is for you, so in a consumerist culture, how can you consume better as a good consumer, right? That sort of mean. The American economy broke during COVID because people weren't consuming things because the government said don't consume things and sit around at home. Now, are there exceptions to that? Did Amazon and a few other places do really well? Yes. But so some of the consuming was still happening, but a lot of the consuming didn't, and the economy sort of ground to a halt, right? Because it wasn't let's make food and then people buy food. It wasn't an agricultural economy, and it wasn't like a industrial economy or a um, like for the most part we're not the ones who are making like semiconductor chips and all those sorts of things It's not largely a manufacturing other than to the extent that the manufacturing serves consumption right i'm not talking about the morality of that i'm just using that as an illustration of because we live in a society that says consume and then you're a good citizen it's really easy for us to adopt that attitude a little bit later he says We are abundantly blessed in Jesus, and we need no stimulus to do good works. These blessings, blessings of forgiveness of our sins, having been made forever the children of God, having before us the Father's house as our home, they should constrain us to serve God in love and gratitude all the days of our lives. Why are we sometimes, and the verse, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, the one who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Why are we sometimes unwilling to serve God? Think about what he just said. Um, the reaping and sowing part, but even beyond that, here's all the blessings we have in Jesus. Why are we sometimes unwilling to serve God? Huh? We lose sight of that. Yeah, we forget the blessings that we have in salvation. If you're ever not sure what the blessings are God is giving you in salvation, go and read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And it lays out in a single very long sentence all of these blessings associated with salvation. So to the extent that we forget what we have received in Jesus, we're like... I don't really want to serve him today. What am I going to get out of it? And the answer is, you've already gotten all of this and here are all the things that are coming, so that should be a degree of motivation to serve God. Again, not to repay. We can't do that, but to return to the purpose for which God created us in gratitude to show love to God. Um, I mean, the illustration would be this in the context of our families. If you, how do I put this? the more that each person in a family willing willing sacrifices for the good of someone else in the family, the more that motivates everyone else to do the same sort of thing. And the more that we say, I'm not going to do anything because I don't feel like it, the more it encourages everyone else around us to say, I'm not going to do anything because I don't feel like it. And so there's a dynamic of if you actually love the people who are around you, you want to do certain things. And the same is true in our relationship with God. If we actually love God, then we want to do what pleases him and accomplishes his purposes and what matters to him. If someone in your family really loves soccer, maybe you would say, hey, let's talk about soccer. Let's go play soccer, right? If somebody in your family really loves soccer and you're like, that's dumb and you're always making fun of it and ignoring it and all that sort of thing, that doesn't build your relationship with that person, right? God is concerned about things that are far bigger than soccer, right? Salvation of people, the growth of his saints in being like Jesus, the building of his church in the world. And so if those are the things that God cares about, we should care about them too, okay? Uh, There's a couple of passages here, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It's the one who scatters and yet increases, and there are the one that withholds more than he should, but it tends to poverty. The liberal soul will be made fat, and the one who waters shall be watered also himself. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure that you measure, it shall be measured to you again. Luke 6:38. How does that inform our generosity? Whether we should be generous at all. This idea of keeping tends to poverty, and sharing tends to abundance. Senator? Okay, but he is talking about material things, though, right? Yeah. Okay. The Lord, that is
1: going
0: to to us with okay, yeah, so we're not guaranteed that if I give out $100, I'm going to get 110 back, right? So there's that reality. Let's come back to that in a second. Bob, do you have something to add to that?
1: I was going to say... those are the, the greater uh, effect of the blessing, more so. And it's, I don't know, it's hard for me to read Proverbs and see material blessing and say, okay, that translates to us too.
0: Okay. Here's an interesting reality though. If someone, think about the parable of the talents, right? And people, there was a competition when I was a kid that was like a Christian, uh, like a homeschool kind of thing and it was called talents for christ and so it was like here's your ability with art and here's your ability with music but the talent in the parable was actually money right so we tend to figure it make it figurative and spiritualize it but it was actually about money so what did the guy do that god said you did a good job and you were faithful he invested it and made more of it right and so then he was blessed to have more they took away from the one who didn't do anything with it and gave him more because god knew he was going to do something with it So here's kind of the picture, in my mind. Here's this person here. Could be either one, right? Here's money coming in. Let's say it's $100. And then it goes out and has accomplished something. If this doesn't go out, is this going to keep happening? I think the passages seem to be arguing no. However, if this does happen, if this does go out, and then it keeps happening, and then it keeps happening, and then it keeps happening, it could be the case that these people have, let's say, $1,000 passed through their hands at the same point that another person who's being stingy only has $100 come in. Um, I forget the numbers on average incomes, but... I think, uh, I think the statistic is accurate, that the, the normal working person will have something like a million dollars pass through his or her hands in the course of a lifetime. Could be more, could be less, but on average. So it's something to ponder, Bob.
1: Isn't it though as they act as a steward?
0: Okay. Yeah, so you're, not, you're saying not just spend the money. Yeah, yeah, t- that's a good point to clarify. So my, um, there's a couple of things that are kind of bu- in the background of this chapter. One is this idea, everything we have belongs to God. And then the next idea is this idea that it's not ours, but we spend it for God's purposes. Now part of God's purposes are provide for family. support church, pay taxes, pay yeah, I'm going to put that under provide for family because mainly the reason that we have vehicles is so that we can get food or go to work or those sorts of things, so it's kind of indirectly tied into this. Uh, and even something like paying bills should be connected with one of these. But there are other things that God calls us to, to, to do as well, right? So hospitality and in connection with that, helping those who are poor, helping those who are uh, widowed or orphaned. Um, there's also the idea of missions work, which in some respects should be tied into this. But I don't know. It's not sinful for somebody to give directly to a missionary. Uh, There's a degree of of healthiness in collaborating as a church. Um, I don't know that everything that's done for missions has to come directly through the church. So to the extent that these purposes align with, Uh, I'm going to put evangelism here too, right? And I am not spelling it very well. Okay. Um, To the extent that the money that goes out is accomplishing these purposes, then I think that's what I'm saying with God giving more to keep accomplishing those purposes. We're going to see an illustration of that at the end of the chapter, so let's keep going through here. He said, let us walk as stewards and not as owners. What's the difference in attitude between a steward and an owner? Raiden? Okay. Yeah, there's two examples of what being a steward looks like. How many of you have rented an apartment? Okay. What are two common attitudes toward apartments? One is what just said, which is, because it's not mine, what's the other attitude? It's not mine, so I can trash it, right? The second attitude is not the one that we're getting at here. It's the first one of, this is not mine, so I need to be responsible with it. Now. There needs to be a degree of freedom and not excessive worry about it. Um, sometimes, when we receive something, uh, like in the parable of the talents, right? He said, oh, "I was afraid that you were going to be angry with me if I didn't take care of it the right way," and he acted as though almost it was uh, like a trophy. Although burying it in the ground is not what you would typically do with a trophy, but like something that you need to keep safe, right? It needs to be kept exactly as it is, preserved, right? The idea, I think, of stewardship is not to just to preserve, but also to multiply, and we see that in some of these examples of stewardship. And there's a degree to which things can be used. So, to the extent that we say, "God gave me a car, and this car is ultimately God's, but it's also mine," um, if one of the kids gets a, a scratch in the door, you shouldn't scream at them and say, "You scratched God's car! How could you?" Right? Because that's not really what we're getting at. Bob? Would
1: you say two? It's- Operating in a, a spirit of fear.
0: If we have that attitude?
1: Yeah. Because I mean right. that was his, his ultimate response. You were an exacting and, and hard man. And he's like, well, if you knew I was an exacting and hard man, then why didn't you try to do something? And the, more of a it, it seems like the attitude was more of a I don't want to take any risk. Right. I don't and it was a more fearful attitude.
0: Right, so what I'm saying is stewardship doesn't mean we just sort of sit on whatever God's given us and protect it. There is an element of sort of putting it to work, right? And there is an element of not being driven by fear, like you're talking about. We're We're building to this point here at the end of the chapter. We'll come back to it in a moment. How much should you give of your income? He says, God lays down no rule concerning this point. We should give cheerfully and not because it is required. But if even Jacob, with the first dawning of spiritual light, promised to God the tenth of all, how much should we believers in the Lord Jesus do for him? So how can we arrive at a starting place for our giving? There's a couple of different ways we could answer this question. Let's talk about the idea of giving the church. Are you obligated to tithe? I'm going to say no, and here's why. We are obligated or expected to give, But I don't think we're expected to give 10% because when we look at it in the Old Testament, the tithe was essentially a tax to support the Levites. And it was given specifically to the Israelites, not necessarily to the church. I know there's a lot of different people who've taught a lot of different things on this. So here's what I'm saying. Um, We are not obligated to give 10%. But instead of looking at it as a tax that we must give, we should look at it as an opportunity to serve God in a variety of ways. Instead of limiting it to money and to a percentage, we should look at it as what is the sum total of what God has given me and how can I use it for His service. Okay? So, the example of the Old Testament, I think, is where he's starting. Jacob said, I will give you a tenth of all, right? What is Mueller arguing? Whether or not we agree with him, what is he arguing? If Jacob gave 10%, I should give more, because why? I have a greater sense of blessing in Jesus and all that sort of thing, right? I want to be clear that I am not wanting to bind anyone's conscience and say, I can't even pay my bills, I don't have food on the table, and I can't get to my job but I need to give 50% of my paycheck to the church. That's not what I'm saying. I think the percentage ebbs and flows, and going back to something that Sandra was saying and some other things we were talking about a few minutes ago, if we give generously, we don't always have the expectation that we're going to be immediately repaid financially if we give financially. So it could be, going back to the illustration here, I give the $100, and I don't get the $100 back at least immediately. In that time of need, because I have given generously to someone else, what does that provide an opportunity for someone else to do? To help me potentially, right? Um, So that clearly is what happened with the early church. The church of Jerusalem is giving and giving and giving and they run out for a variety of reasons. The Gentile churches now have an opportunity to give. Maybe one of the Gentile churches runs out of something and another Gentile church has an opportunity to give. Maybe the church in Jerusalem is doing better. They have an opportunity to give back to the Gentile churches. And so there is this network and web of relationships through which God puts money for his kingdom work through the church um, in surprising and unexpected ways. And there are moments in which if we live that way, we are going to have moments of need and dependence on God in ways that we would not have if we didn't give it all. And I think going back to what we were talking about, Jonathan and I here a few minutes ago, um, it is tricky to put an exact number or exact parameters on what does waste look like, what does generosity look like, all those sorts of things, right? There's a degree to which we have to wrestle with that in our relationships with God and consider where we're at. So, but how do we arrive at a starting place for our giving? We look at it not as an obligation or as a percentage, but that all of what God has given us belongs to him, and so that should be our attitude, not just, I'll give God whatever's left at the end, right? And that, I think, is maybe where people who emphasize tithing are coming from. Starting with this attitude of giving to God instead of giving him, you know, I have five bucks left over at the end of the month, right? So there is, I think the idea of starting with how am I giving to God is, is something that should be preserved. The exact percentage is the only thing that maybe we could have a discussion about. So then he says here, the child of God must be willing to be a channel through which God's abundant blessings flow. This channel is narrow and shallow at first. If we cheerfully yield ourselves to this purpose, the channel becomes wider and deeper, allowing more of the bounty of God to pass through. Ever watched like a little canal? It gets bigger over time, right? Why? Because the water keeps rushing through it. No water goes through it. It stays the same size. He's arguing that if I am consistently giving out what God has given to me to accomplish the purposes that God wants to accomplish in time, God can potentially give me more so that I have more opportunity to give. But that correlates to me actually giving, right? The money is of no value to me unless I can use it for God. The more I pay out for the work of God, the more prospect I have of being further supplied by him. The larger the sum I obtain from him in answer to prayer, the greater the proof of the blessedness and the reality of dealing directly with God alone for what I need. Therefore, I have as much joy in giving as in receiving. There were moments when Mueller had absolutely nothing, and he's still playing how to to the poor, which is a remarkable thing, right? So why must we practice giving if we want to be better at it? I'm just going to answer that for the sake of, of time. Do you agree with Mueller's assessments? We can talk more about that in a moment. Here's the part I want to get to here in the end as we wrap up. He had given me to the full answer to my thousands of prayers during these 1,195 days. So about three years. And then a little bit later, there was a guy who what's that? Closer to four. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's early in the morning. Math is not my strong suit, first thing in the morning. so All right, yeah, so three and a half closer to four years. God answered all of his and not just five or 10 prayers, right? He says thousands of prayers. God has answered, right? Then he gives this example of a guy who writes him a letter and he said, "Um, I send you a 50-pound note. This will be the last large sum I will be able to send you. Almost all the rest is already out of interest, at interest. When the writer said the rest is already out at interest, he meant that he had given it away for the Lord. Indeed, that is the best way of using the money that the Lord entrusts to us. Since that time, I have received other large donations from the same man. He used his money for God who entrusted him with another large sum, which he again used for the Lord. This does not surprise me at all. In whatever way God makes us his stewards, whether in temporal or spiritual things, if we act as stewards and not as owners, he will make us stewards over more. Again, here are the two fears that come up. If I spend it on you, I won't have it for me. And if I spend it now, I won't have it then. This man that was supporting Mueller, said, I've spent it all, I won't be able to help you as far as I know, and yet God continued to give him, not necessarily all at once. It could have been at this point, and then two years later, and then three years later, and all those sorts of things. So the, the idea of this is not that you will be constantly rich if you use what God has given you for him. The idea is that when we have a free and giving and sharing attitude instead of a grasping, hoarding, and holding attitude, God blesses it. That's the basic idea I think that we're supposed to take away from this. The specifics is where it gets challenging, right? Are we saying it's sinful to have more than $50 in the bank? No. Are we saying that it's wise to automatically spend everything that ever comes in so that you have no reserves for anything? I don't think I'm necessarily saying that either, and I don't think he would argue for that. But to the extent that this attitude corrects the attitude that says, I will keep and keep and keep and keep and keep and keep, and then I will die and I will try to keep the government from getting as much as I can of it, and then my kids can have a lot, right? Um, there was an illustration of, um, there was a guy who had a of money, and he said, what, what am I going to give my kids? I'm going to give them enough come to the funeral and get home, and and that's about it, right? Now, there's a part of us that says that's terrible. Why wouldn't you give them more than that? And this person's attitude was because if they have everything provided for them, they'll never learn the lessons they're supposed to learn in life. Now, is that the right response is that the only response. No, but it is a response to consider which is this, if my concern for the future is because if I give away what God has given me, then my kids will not be taken care of, then I'm assuming something changes about God's character from the perspective that he provided for me and he can provide for them. Now it's possible that the way in which he provides for them is through me making wise decisions and planning ahead with things, but it's also entirely possible that the way God provides for them is not by me saying the stuff I give them is the most important thing, but rather the things I teach them between now and the moment that I'm gone, which is a whole other aspect of stewardship we don't have time to get into right now. But um, how do we balance planning and giving? That's something I think we have to wrestle with. I can't answer that for you. What should be in your bank account? What debts you should or should not take on? Mueller would obviously say none but he would also rent and we have mortgages and all those sorts of things. I'm not saying any of that's necessarily sinful. I can't answer that question for you, but the principle would be instead of saying how can I maximize my pleasure and my enjoyment and all those sorts of things, I should say how can I most effectively serve God and then that, that translates into a lot of the way that I live in terms of giving and hospitality and generosity and all the things that he talks about in this chapter. Any quick thoughts as we wrap up here?
1: many cases, we're focused on the goal line, finish line, for different objectives, you know, oh, I want to either get to a certain amount of income or pay off a certain thing or obtain a certain
0: material item. Yeah. And we
1: get so focused on that end point, that we don't thank and praise God along the way. Sure. That's one of of the most convicting things I've seen in the last couple of years is to learn to enjoy the struggle, to thank him for the, the difficulties in every day, so that we can actually look for the opportunities within them, not the end goal itself.
0: Yeah. Not being too fixated on the end goal that we miss what he's doing right now. Okay. Good. Anything else? Yes, Santa.
1: Um, I think if we are things and we are really you know, and we yeah. things, we are God, we walk in the spirit. Yeah.
0: Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to consider these truths. Help us to live um, as your stewards generously and obediently and with an attitude to what would be most pleasing to you with the decisions that we make. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.